Both Matthew and Mark report that a hit mob of religious leaders from Jerusalem showed up. Now, they didn't call them a hit mob. I did that. Matthew and Mark called them scribes and Pharisees. But Mark, knowing that his account was not being addressed to a Jewish audience, he gave us a little background about what they were mad about. He tells us that they saw some of Jesus' disciples eat with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all of the Jews don't eat unless they ceremonially wash their hands all the way up to their elbows with clenched fists, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. I don't think this is talking about personal hygiene, folks. It stems from that, but it became a ceremonial religious tradition. So these religious leaders came all the way from Jerusalem to raise a fuss over this. That was important, you know. How dare they eat with defiled, unclean hands? And folks, you know what's really ridiculous about this? This wasn't even commanded anywhere in the law. Now, there were some things about the priests of the temple going through ceremonial washings, but that was because they were priests of the temple and they had to do that before they entered the sanctuary. But nothing about the common Jew before they eat. But somewhere along the line, it became a religious tradition that was practiced for so long that to the scribes and Pharisees, it was the same thing as the law. Now, folks, we might shake our heads and laugh at this, but don't laugh too hard. We're not all that better today. Because the church is about 2,000 years old today, and that's how old the Mosaic Law was in Jesus' day. Just like the Pharisees, we also have had plenty of time to turn biblical truth, biblical principles, into exaggerated, man-made traditions. A lot of the ceremonial traditions in the church today have no biblical basis whatsoever, but you'd never know that from the way those traditions are vigorously promoted and blindly practiced. And the brave few who dare to challenge it are usually given all kinds of hell from religious leaders and even fellow Christians. And out of love, when you try to show them that those traditions are not biblically founded, they become just as angry and just as indignant as these Pharisees are about to get. And don't misunderstand me. There may not be anything wrong with the traditions that are held, just like there's nothing wrong with washing your hands up to your elbows before you eat. But to take that and then make it a religious tradition, and then make everybody feel like it's something they must do in order to solidify their faith and please God, as though God himself ordained it and commanded it. Folks, putting words in God's mouth is very dangerous. Misrepresenting God, claiming that he said something that he never said, claiming that he feels a certain way about something that he doesn't feel, that he never claimed that he felt, that's dangerous. God represents himself to us through his word. So with any tradition, if Jesus said it and the scriptures say it, then it's of God. But if Jesus never said it and the scriptures never said it, then it's man-made. And if it's man-made, it might be a good tradition, but don't let modern-day Pharisees beat you over the head with some religious guilt. There's plenty of them around today. When we start studying all of Paul's church letters in the New Testament, we'll get into a lot of those modern-day religious traditions and we'll attempt to decipher what's biblically endorsed versus what's purely man-made. And I think when we get into all of that, you'll be surprised just how much of what goes on today is purely man-made tradition. Certainly surprised me. And in just a minute here, Jesus is going to show us why that's a bad thing. Whether we mean to or not, they always eventually wind up replacing what God really wants. He's interested in our lives, folks. That's a moment-by-moment, 24-hour-a-day thing. When we devote ourselves to God and His Word, then it shows in our moment-by-moment lives. But when we devote ourselves to tradition and ceremony 
our lives eventually become no different than everyone else in the world, with the minor exception that we practice some ceremonial tradition. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. Jesus answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Ooh, Jesus went straight for the jugular, folks. And now he's going to give them an example of what he's talking about. How do they break the commandment of God for the sake of their tradition? Turns out that among their religious traditions was something that they had come up with called Corbin. If you had a financial obligation, whatever it was, you could claim Corbin to get out of it. But only if you had given money to the temple. And believe it or not, one of the obligations Corbin could write off were obligations toward your parents. If you were a grown adult and your mother or father came to you for support of any kind, you could tell them that what they needed from you had already been given to the temple. That what they needed from you was Corbin. Of course, if you hadn't given anything to the temple, that would have been a lie. So the tradition of Corbin promoted the idea of giving to the temple so that you could say that and it not be a lie. Give to the temple so you can tell your parents what you would have gained from me has already been given to the Lord. So that's why Jesus is indignant with these Pharisees. How dare they come all the way from Jerusalem to gripe about his disciples not washing their hands when they're telling people they don't have to help out their parents when they need help if they've been giving to the temple. Now, folks, once again, we can sit here in the year 2010 and shake our heads at these Pharisees, but we're no better. Not by a long shot. I've heard sermons about tithing and giving money to the church that actually rivals the jibe that we're getting here from these Pharisees. So after Jesus was griped at for not adhering to the tradition of hand washing, he gives them an example of how serious God takes his commandments and then compares that to an example of how casual the Pharisees are with the commandments in spite of their protests. Jesus answered them, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded honor your father and your mother and whoever curses his father or mother must surely die. But you say, a man doesn't need to honor his father and mother if he tells them what you would have gained from me, it is Corban, a gift to God. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You pretenders, you hypocrites. Truly and excellently did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, these people draw near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips. But with their hearts, they hold off and they are distant from me. Uselessly and in vain do they worship me, for they order obedience, teaching the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, and you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your traditions. Then Jesus called the people to him and said, Listen to me, all of you, and understand what I say. Okay, folks, right here, since the public's perception of what's clean and unclean has been twisted by tradition for so long, Jesus is going to publicly countermand that twisted tradition and explain why. He says, listen to me, all of you, and understand what I say. There is not one thing outside of a man which by going into him can pollute him. It's not what goes into the mouth of a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of the mouth. The things which come out of a man are what defile him and make him unclean. If any man has ears to hear, let him be listening and let him perceive and comprehend. And when he had left the crowd and had gone into the house, his disciples said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended and indignant with what you said? Jesus answered, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be torn up by the roots. Let them alone and disregard them. They are blind guides and blind teachers. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into the ditch. Wow, what a speech, folks. We can learn a lot from that because all of us today 
who study the Bible, we get a little help from Bible scholars, Bible teachers, pastors, and such. And there are a lot of great ones out there, some really awesome teachers who've been planted on this earth by God himself to aid us in our understanding of his word. But for every gifted teacher that's out there, there are at least a bare minimum of 10 blind guides that have not been planted on this earth by God. And concerning those guys, Jesus just said, let them alone and disregard them. But how do we know the difference between those who've been planted by God and those who've been planted by Satan? Jesus told us in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, we haven't gotten there yet, but we will. He said, if you abide in my word, in other words, if you stay in there, don't just take a sip once a week, but drink it all the way down and stay in there. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Sometimes because of things that I've said here on this show in the past, some people get the impression that I'm anti-teacher. But I'm not, folks. How could I be? I mean, that's what I'm doing. But teachers don't take precedence over God's word. As a matter of fact, there isn't anything that God holds higher than his word. How high do you suppose God holds his name? I mean, that's pretty high, right? Well, Psalm 138 verse 2 says that God holds his word even higher than his own name. God's word comes first because that's what Jesus told us would set us free and give us the truth. Good teachers can do that too, but you won't know the difference between a good teacher and a blind teacher if you're blind yourself and not abiding in God's word. Something else here about all this business of man-made traditions that cancel out God's word. Most of the time, those traditions are founded on God's word. But then man comes along and adds a bunch of confusion and nonsense to it throughout the centuries so that it almost becomes null and void. They'll quote the passage of scripture to back up their tradition, but when you really look at the tradition carefully and then compare it to the verse they're using to condone it, you'll find that it contradicts. There's several examples of this, but one of the big ones that always pops into my head is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world. And just about every Christian group out there has taken that and come up with their own definitions of what's worldly versus what's godly. And they always quote the first part of that verse. Do not be conformed to this world. This is why we do this, that, and the other. But who decides what's worldly and what's godly? Go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and finish the verse in its context. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed. Ooh, wait a minute. I didn't hear about this. Nobody said anything about transformation. They just said, don't be worldly. There's a transformation that takes place? Yes, read the rest of the verse. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that you may prove for yourself what is the will of God. Wow! Prove for yourself? That sounds rebellious. That can't be in the Bible. Yes, it is. Right there in Romans 12, verse 2. Paul wrote it himself in the first century. The same verse everybody quotes when they say, don't be worldly. How come they never finish this verse? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's because it might get in the way of their man-made traditions. Hmm. Well, how does that work, folks? What is mind renewal? How do you become transformed by the renewal of your mind? Jesus told us in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, when he said, if you abide in my word. Notice that he didn't say, if you abide in your church. And he also didn't say, if you abide in your traditions. And even more importantly, you notice he didn't say, if you abide in your teachings. Didn't say any of that. He said, if you abide in 
my word, what I said, what's in the Bible. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It's amazing to me how many pastors and how many Christians don't really believe this verse. They're scared to death that they're going to choke on the word and somehow get confused. Well, not if Jesus is a truth teller. He told you, not me, not Josh. He told you, Jesus told you that if you abide in his word, you will know the truth. He didn't say you might know it or you might get close to it or you might somewhat get an idea. He said you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. Set you free from what? Well, fill in the blank. Man-made traditions, man-made religious customs, deception, false teaching, self-told lies, subtle little confusions that are deeply buried and rooted into the back part of your subconscious. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that the word of God is alive and full of power, penetrating to the deepest parts of our nature, exposing, sifting, and analyzing the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. No teacher can do that, folks. No pastor can do that. But the Word of God can and does. You know how it does it? It's because the Holy Spirit who authored and engineered that text is the same Holy Spirit who has been sealed inside of you, deep where your inner thoughts and emotions are. No teacher or pastor can get that deep inside of you. Now, they might occasionally come close. If God knows you have a desperate need for some truth... And if he knows you're going to be listening to a particular station or sitting in a particular church, and if the pastor or teacher you're listening to is one that God planted, then God might cook up a good sermon for you to reach your heart. But that's occasional, folks, because God might want to talk to somebody else who needs a different message more than you need yours. And of course, pastors and teachers have schedules, so you can't listen to them until they're ready to say something. The Holy Spirit isn't like that. He's always with you and he's always ready. Abiding in God's word does things that cannot be rationally explained. But Jesus told you, if you do that, you are truly his disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free.